Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. So we've been on this series called Vistas. It's an overview of God's story. So we've been kind of working our way through the Bible, starting at Genesis. And so I wanted to run through a little bit of review from last week. Pastor Doug kind of tackled the last section of the Old Testament. And that revolved around Israel in its exile. Israel in its exile. What was happening was Israel would basically abandon God, his commandments, and then God would send them prophets to change their ways. They would reject that, and God would have them sent into exile from another nation. So another nation of, of like Babylon or the Assyrians, they would come in, take the Israelites, and pull them away from their own lands and their own people. He covered a bunch of different scenarios and situations where Israel went into exile time and time again. But then um, his key passage is uh, from Jeremiah 29, 11. And it said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Doug talked about how, Pastor Doug talked about even how we are exiles in a lot of ways that's resemblance to the Israelites, where we are citizens of heaven as a Christian and that you are exiled from heaven itself. So there was this beautiful thing about how he unpacked that. Then he had this great passage, just the rest of the twenty-nine, of the chapter 29 of Jeremiah. It talks about how he has a plan and a future for you in the midst of exile. And in the midst of exile, to bless the city that you're in. For when the city prospers, you prosper. Um, that kind of was the conclusion of the Old Testament. So he kind of wrapped up the entirety of the Old Testament on that, and we are going to begin to start in the New Testament. So we're going to begin to crack the New Testament open. The New Testament begins with four different books, and those books are called Gospels. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So those books are all accounts of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. All those books kind of show different angles or record different things because they're for, from four distinct people. They're writing what they see, different miracles, different stories, and about the life of Jesus. So we're going to start off in Matthew 1, and we're going to stay in the beginning of Matthew for today. I find it to be the appropriate thing to do since we're just coming out of the Old Testament. And let's just tackle the first next book of the New Testament, the first gospel, Matthew. So if you look at Matthew chapter 1, there's only two of the gospels that actually record a more detailed um, kind of an account of Jesus' birth. Matthew does and John does. But Matthew, before talking about the birth of Jesus at the beginning of chapter 1, he does something different. He talks about the genealogy of Jesus before he talks about his birth. And I'm the type of person who I ask a lot of questions all the time um, when I'm reading my Bible. But just in life, I wonder why 
We do the things we do. I wonder why in the Bible, why the authors put those things in there. I would encourage you, as you read the Bible, ask, why is this in here? And as you dive into it, you'll learn that it's deeper and more beautiful than you predict. So, Matthew 1, it starts with the genealogy. I'm not going to read the genealogy because I can't pronunciate majority of the names in the genealogy. Uh, that's for like Pastor Doug's like MO. Like he does a good job. I do a bad job. And, uh, but the genealogy kind of boils down to them that, that Matthew wanted to make a connection to Jesus through three main characters. He wanted to connect Jesus to three main characters. And the genealogy shows it. And it's the three main characters, Abraham, Moses, and David. That is the point of the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew 1. To connect those three characters to Jesus. So why are those three characters really, really important? What's so beautiful about this, even this series of vistas, is this, for a lot of us, is maybe even a little refresher because it's still on our mind. So the first person that Matthew connects is Abraham. Abraham is connected through Jesus, through genealogy. So why is Abraham important, or who was Abraham? We see him in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 2. We see Abraham being this man who knew God instinctively. There was something about him where he was considered just kind of a, a pagan or someone that just wandered, but he knew God instinctively. And Abraham has this crazy encounter with God in the middle of the night looking at the stars. It's like when you go camping. There's no light pollution. The sky looks amazing. Or if you've ever been to the tropics with like no light pollution, it looks incredible, right? So Abraham is spending time outside and he has this Holy Spirit God encounter or just God encounter. And God begins to talk to Abraham in the middle of the night. And he says this, he goes, Abraham, your descendants will be, or your offspring, your descendants will be like those of the stars. Abraham at the time had no kids, had nothing. He's like, are you sure, Lord? Then he says this line, he says this line, God says this line to Abraham. Genesis 2, he goes, through you, all nations will be blessed. Through you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. The next person that Matthew found important to connect Jesus to is this guy named Moses. We know a lot about Moses, but just for a little refresher even, Moses was the guy that brought Israel from captivity in Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. The original intention of Moses was to bring them to the promised land. Moses had anger issues, wasn't able to get into the promised land. This is the same Moses that split the sea, did the plagues, same guy. Moses, though, his critical point in his life came when they're in the wilderness, and he went up to the Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was this place where God gave him the Ten Commandments. So we see this really, really important thing. So Moses, a lot of times, is categorized as the establishment of the law. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He wrote one copy. Moses came down from the mountain, broke the copy because he had anger issues. God gave, printed off a new copy for him. Good to go. Second cop, copy. So Moses is the establishment of the law. The third person that Matthew wanted to connect to Jesus was David. So you got Abraham, Moses, 
David. David was the third person that Matthew found to be important. David was a king of Israel, a famous king, the man after God's own heart, and was of, the, and was of royal blood. Same man that killed Goliath, really a known story. Same guy. So these are the three characters that Matthew found to be important to connect to Jesus. Real simply, Jesus in his coming is a fulfillment of everything. Is a fulfillment. The Old Testament to the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of things. So let's look at Abraham. Abraham. He said, God said to Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. The promise that was spoken to Abraham years ago from God. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Because little did Abraham know that thousands of years down the line, a little baby would be born that would save people from their sins. He was the fulfillment of the, process, the, the promise. That Jesus was that all nations... All tribes, all tongues, all colors of all time would be blessed through Jesus. He's the fulfillment. The next one, Moses. We see Mo Moses establishing the law, the Ten Commandments, but we see Jesus fulfilling it. And he says this in Scripture. He says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. It's really, really important because Jesus went after the heart. Moses had ten commandments that were set up, and it said something like, even take an example, do not murder. Okay? People live with those laws. Jesus took it to the next degree, brought it to the fulfillment, and he said, you cannot hate because Jesus understood the source, understood the root problem of actions was the heart. And Jesus was after the heart of the issue time and time again. Through all the Ten Commandments, it wasn't about the action, but about where it came from, from the heart. Jesus actually had this thing where it's like, man, I can't hate. Oh, that's tough. Jesus, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, gave you even the Holy Spirit to help you not to hate people. When the fill is backed up and you can't get home on time anymore and there's traffic in Moses Lake for no good reason, right? Yeah. So it's like, that's why I moved here for no traffic, you know? <laughs> David, the last guy. David was of royal earthly blood. The rightful king of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the rightful earthly king but also, he's a rightful heavenly king. The rightful place of Israel. He is the king in the culmination in the answer, the solution to the deepest cries of humanity in its fallen state. The birth of Jesus is so important, so critical, so monumental, because he is the bridge that bridges a broken, sinful humanity back to God. Oftentimes, sometimes it's hard to put things or like the entirety of scripture into like a cohesive understanding. But real simply, Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge.
we have God the Father unable to have communion with a sinful people, sinful children, your off, his offspring. Jesus is the bridge that brings you back into communion with the Father. Jesus is the bridge. Let's continue on. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. The actual birth of Jesus. We went through the genealogy. Now it's the birth. You can follow along with me. It won't be on the screens, but if you have a Bible, you're welcome to. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary has been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph... Woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. The entirety of the Old Testament is a set up for Jesus. The entirety of it. And we see that kind of manifest in different ways through prophets, through prophetic words, talking about the coming Messiah that's going to save people from their sins. We see in illustrations of like Christophanies, meaning things that like people did that were images of Christ. We see like the order of Melchizedek and we see all these things happen and everything is leading up to this birth of Jesus, showing pictures and illustrations of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So the Israelite people understood and knew a king was coming. They understood and they knew from reading scripture that a Messiah was coming to help them. So it was a little bit shaking to them when they understood that the Messiah came not as a warrior king, but as a servant king. What the Israelite people wanted at a time and were looking for and hoping for in their state of captivity, they were hoping Jesus would come in like Rambo, and literally just take people out and free them. Maybe born in the palace, maybe had a lot of money, maybe had a lot of resources, but we see Jesus' birth in a completely different place. Very humble, very real circumstance. We see him born in a manger. That sounds nicer than born in a barn, right? But the fact remains, it was, he was born in a barn. Emmanuel, God with us. This type of thing is so beautiful and it's, it's comforting, it's compelling. It's like shaking. This man, this God man that changed everything was born in a barn. <laughs> God with us. Jesus is the bridge between God and man. 
as I did a lot of research of Matthew, just in preparation of this, um, this story of Joseph and Mary looking for somewhere to have their baby boy is a very real to me in the moment. Um, my wife is, is pregnant eight months. Next month, we will have a little baby girl. Woohoo! <laughs> Gonna have one of each. <laughs> and so I'm understanding very, very deeply kind of the more intricate details that pregnancy brings. Can you imagine, put yourself in the story of Mary freaking out because she doesn't know when she's going to have this baby. She doesn't know where it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. She has the aches and pains that even my wife has, like, this baby is dancing on my bladder, you know. <laughs> I don't sleep good no more because, you know, the, the foot is in the spine. Like, there's all of these things, but take yourself and put yourself in this story. Where I've done all this preparation, Alyssa's done all this preparation to get this baby or to be ready for this baby to come. Working on the nursery, <laughs> painting walls, nesting. <laughs> it's real. So put yourself in the story of Joseph and Mary wandering, trying to figure out where to stay. They're in the city Bethlehem and they're going from house to house. Hotel, motel, <laughs> Airbnb, and everything is full. Everything. And I can even put myself in the mind of Joseph where I'm just like, oh man, and just stressing about this thing. And Mary is gimping along, you know, <laughs> pregnant. Water broke maybe. And just like the, the, the tension that the baby is coming is rising. They find themselves a barn. This guy's like, oh, yeah, we have room in the barn. Just like, the barn? She's about to have a baby. And even take yourself and think, you know, Joseph walks in this barn, and he's like, sorry, donkey, I need this spot. You know, and like pushing the donkey out of the way and like moving stuff we shouldn't talk about out of the way, you know, trying to just prepare it. I remember this moment when our first son was born, Israel. What happened was, Alyssa woke me up in the middle of the night and she had some contractions. And so I was like, okay, are you ready to go? Let's try the hospital. She's like, no, they're too far apart still. Let's wait. Let's wait. She woke me up a few hours later and I was like, oh, it's go time. Like, you know, I'm grabbing my keys and she's like, oh no, all the drains are backed up and they're flooding, you know? And I'm like, what? So I go, and all the drains and tubs and everything, it's just backed up with this, like, gray water. Really nice stuff. Um, <laughs> and um, I wasn't really sure what to do, so I pulled the drain on something. Um, I'm very good at making bad things worse. And, uh, and so it dumped, like, 15 gallons of this really nice water out. And um, so I'm working for hours with, like, towels and buckets, and, and there's water everywhere, and our house is, like, destroyed. Just destroyed. I clean up, go back to bed, and I'm like, this baby's coming any moment, and this house is just trashed. Smells weird. <laughs> no water. We can't use water because the drains are not working still. Go to bed. Alyssa wakes me up again. Contractions are happening. We begin to make our way. We have the baby. 
We drive home about midnight. And I remember carrying my son Israel in, he's in a car seat, and helping Alyssa into the house and opening the door, and it just smells. Like, you know, like, because there's like sewage everywhere. It's awful, you know? And I remember that, like, thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? In distress as a, you know, as a dad. I'm like, I'm just doing this dad thing wrong so far. <laughs> and I put Israel on our bed. He's in the car seat. I set him down. And I remember turning around and like rubbing my face. <laughs> Anyone rub their face when they're stressed? <laughs> just rubbing my face. And then I turn around and I look at Israel. And I swear to you, a lot of people say I'm lying. He was smiling at me. He's not even 24 hours old. He's like 12 hours old. And he was just like, and maybe he had really fat cheeks and maybe like, I don't know, like something was squishing up. But I swear to this day, and I had this moment, I was like, he's smiling at me. In that moment, house is destroyed. I had a son. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. I didn't even care. I was like, he's smiling. (laughs) I'm going to stay up five hours and clean the house, you know. (laughs) It didn't matter in that moment. And I begin to even think about Joseph and Mary in that moment. Donkey won't stay over in its corner. It keeps coming back. (laughs) Trying to, like, make an area in a place that would be okay for a birth. But that moment when Jesus was born, it being so real. And just being like, wow, we have a baby. We have a son. It's Jesus. Let's continue on. Matthew 2. Jesus is born. They're hanging out in the manger, walking around town. And then it says in Matthew 2, something happens. It says this, 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Remember, all of Israel and enemies knew a Messiah was coming, and they thought Jesus was going to be a warrior king. That's why Herod was troubled in the rest of the country. was like, uh-oh. Okay, he was troubled. Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled in Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. As it is written, the entirety of the whole Old Testament is set up for this moment. They're reading scripture about this moment. Scripture that was written hundreds and thousands of years before. All all just culminating to this moment. Because it's all about Jesus. I ask a lot of questions. When I read this passage, and when I, I read this years ago, I wondered, where did these guys come from, these wise men, right? Magi, wise men. Where in the heck did they come from? It says they came from the east. 
Why are they there visiting Jesus? How did they know to look for him? You know, they don't got their iPhone and GPS. Like, what are they following? How do they know it's in Bethlehem? How did they get there, and why are they looking for Jesus? And why do they have all these gifts for him? A few weeks ago, or actually last week, Pastor Doug talked about the captivity of Israel, about how they're in exile in different lands. One of the places they are in exile is the nation of Babylon. Babylon. And the king at the time was King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? When Nebuchadnezzar took over the nation of Israel and brought them into captivity, he took four guys in particular. You'd probably recognize some of their names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and David. It always just sounds weird, right? <laughs> like three weird names and one normal one. They took four guys, and he had them in the palace serving them, working with them. Slaves. Nebuchadnezzar, during that time, with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and David, Neb- or Daniel, sorry, thank you, have, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he is so disturbed by this dream, he goes to all the magi, all the wise men of Babylon, and he asks them two things. He goes, tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. And the magi, the wise men, are stressed because they go, well, king, how about you tell me what you dreamed and then we'll interpret it. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, no, 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 no. You say you know what's going on. Tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. They go back. They can't figure it out. Nebuchadnezzar then ups the stakes and say, hey, y'all going to die if you do not tell me what my dream is and what it means. Daniel is kind of in this mix. And they're all talking and Daniel goes to bed and Daniel has a dream from God. And God reveals to him Nebuchadnezzar's dream and what it means. Daniel wakes up, goes to the king, and says, Nebuchadnezzar, I know what your dream is. Tells it to him perfectly, then gives him the interpretation to it perfectly. Nebuchadnezzar was so blown away by Daniel, he says this. Daniel 2, verse 48. Then the king gave, gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. All the wise men of Babylon. Why were the wise men, the magi, looking in in waiting for Jesus? How did they know that Jesus was going to arrive in Bethlehem? Because the Lord in his divine nature set it up thousands of years ago. Set this up and he taught them scripture and the stars and he set in a godly man named Daniel to teach pagan astrologers what to look for for the coming Messiah. Isn't that mind-blowing? <laughs> it, it was all in an effort to fulfill a prophecy that happened. To fulfill a prophecy about the birth of Jesus. It says in Isaiah 60, verse 3, 
and the nations shall come to your light, and the king to the brightness of your rising. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the bridge between God and man. Jesus is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is an entire setup to this moment about the birth of Jesus. The next question is, I always wondered why it was really important for Jesus to come as a human baby, right? Like these are sometimes really basic questions, but why was it so critical for Jesus to come as a human baby? A lot of times we think or we have this understanding that God is a God that like snaps his finger and then things happen. Yes, he is all-powerful, and yes, that's true. But what we see unfold through scripture and testimonies in our own life is this. God is a God of process. We think and believe a lot of times it's like, just make it happen. No, 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 no. (laughs) In scripture, we see God being a God of process. Even down to the minute thing of having Nebuchadnezzar have a dream to talk to Daniel, to train people for hundreds of years, to go to Bethlehem, to find Jesus, the baby, to fulfill a prophecy because it's a process. The Lord is working a process in your life. And a lot of times we get frustrated because we want it to be like this and done. No, it's a process. Why did Jesus have to come as a baby. In the Old Testament, we see Adam in the garden brought sin. Adam and Eve brought sin into humanity. Everything was perfect. They sinned, brought it into humanity, brought sin into the universe. So that all people of all time were affected with sin. Okay? We know that. Then, to atone for the sin before Jesus, they used to kill animals and sacrifice the animals to God to make a temporary atonement for their sins. So they would do like one for the year, one for seven years. They would do one for the week. There would be different types of offerings for different types of sins even. So it was never enough though. The animal sacrifices were never enough to atone for the weight of the sin. All sin, all people, all time, all nations. It was never enough. Because it was never equal payment. It was just basically paying off the interest on it. That's it. That's why Jesus is so important. He had to come, not just snap his fingers. He had to come as a man, as a God-man, and bridge the gap between God and men. And pay for the sins of the people equal payment. An undeniable amount, incredibly heavy amount of weight of sin can only be paid for by a sinless human being. He was human and he was God. All rolled into one. It was needed to pay for everyone's sin of all time. Jesus is the bridge. The world got infected by sin through a man, Adam, Eve. And so through that process, God fixed the world through a man, Jesus, a perfect opposite. 
God made flesh, Emmanuel. Jesus is the bridge. Rach, you can get up here. Jesus is the bridge. He's the bridge that bridges us back from a sinful people being separated from Father God. Jesus is the bridge that brings us back into relationship with him. A lot of the story of the Bible is literally bringing the father and his kids back together. We think it's, just a, this, it's different than that, but that's really the basis and the core of it. God the Father made you in his image, the Imago Dei. Sin separated and divided you, divided us. We were separated from the Father. And so God started a process, a beautiful process spanning thousands of years leading up to this moment where Jesus, the God-man, was born in flesh to bridge human peoples to a holy, righteous God. Jesus is the bridge to bring you back into communion with the Father, back in your rightful place, back where sin has destroyed, it brings you back to it. Back to Jesus, back to the Father, back into communion.